Well, we're back again with another episode of Farm Bureau on the Hill, this time for a special session. I'm Thomas Camps and joined by Shelby Vinoy from our Public Policy Division. So, Shelby, help us lay out the groundwork as to why we're recording a legislative update in August. Not uh, typical. No, it is not. And it's good to be here with you, Thomas. I feel like I've kind of gotten out of the habit of breaking down what happened in our week. So this was definitely a good time to scrape the rest off a little bit and, and get back in the swing of things. But yes, so we are just wrapping up from a extraordinary session, so to speak. The governor called the legislature back into session um, starting August 21st, and they adjourned their business um, just this past Tuesday, the 29th, about midway through the morning. And um, the goal of this special session was all about public safety, mental health, obviously in light of uh, what took place at the Covenant School at the end of March of this year, just trying to do something to, to be a better um advocate for mental health and to just take some steps towards public safety in our state. So in the call that the governor made, that was exclusively kind of what he was talking about. And the thing about extraordinary special sessions is that they can't discuss anything that's not in that call. So all of the discussion that's been happening over the last week and a half was all centered around public safety, constitutional rights, mental health, things of that nature. So considering the items covered in the governor's call, was there a lot of legislation filed? I would say it was about what was to be expected. Um, obviously, we knew that the governor was going to have some priorities going into this. And that's kind of we found ourselves in an interesting situation because we thought this special session was going to be in May. And then I think the legislature and the governor's office had to have a little bit longer of, an, of a chance to have conversations. So that's why we're here in August. But uh, the governor did have... Uh, six actual pieces of legislative items that he was prioritizing, but in total, the House filed 114 bills and the Senate filed 109 bills. Um, and if you've watched Schoolhouse Rock, you know you have to have the same version in both the House and the Senate. So because those numbers don't match, it does mean that uh, there were several bills that did not receive a companion sponsor. So I would say in total, throughout the week, there were about 40 to 50 bills running through the House committee. Well, it seems like in the last five years or so, there's been several special sessions. So this really isn't anything new to come back and work on specific issues. Obviously, though, this one dealt with a heavier topic. What was the energy like when y'all were up there? Yeah, so throughout my legislative career, and that has been a very short legislative career, but it seems like there have been a lot of special sessions to deal with something. So previously, we've had one on when when COVID-19 was running rampant. We've had a special session on education. We've had one um, when Blue Oval made their big announcement. We came back in for a, a special session for, for that economic development. So, But this one was definitely a lot heavier and probably the most publicly involved one um, that I've had the opportunity to, to be a part of. Or, and this one, we really just were spectators in the sport, it seemed like. But... Um, lots of public input, and that was something that Governor Lee actually asked for, was when he said earlier this summer his intentions to call the legislature back, he said, I want to hear from Tennesseans about what we should be focused on. So there was a public forum um, where folks could go on and put their input. I would really be interested to know how much input we received. I know we shared it on all of our stuff, but um, lots of public input, and I, the best way to describe it is there were a lot of passionate advocates on 
all, all sides of the issue, whether you're in support of um, more strict gun laws or you think that they're a, a, they shouldn't be infringed upon, um, lots and lots of passionate advocates. And that kind of spilled over into the House and the Senate and the expectations they had set. Um, earlier this week, we found ourselves kind of at a gridlock between the House and the Senate, that the House uh, mentioned that they had about 40 or 50 bills going through their committee system. Um, they were working as if they were going to fully pass those 40 or 50 bills. The Senate, however, came in last week. They passed their their four items, and they went home and pushed to the week that we're in now. Um, and even up until Tuesday morning, we weren't really sure how long this session was going to go on. So lots of expectations across the board, um, lots of very passionate discussions um, if you've, you've seen the news, you, you've seen kind of how everything had came to a head many, many times, but, um, I think for the good of everyone, I'm glad that we've taken, taken some time and taken a break to come back in January. So did they come to an agreement on anything while they were up there? They did. And it's, you're going to see if you, if you're active on social media or you're just watching um, your local news station, I feel like we're hearing lots of reports of what actually happened. Um, So they did actually pass four items that are headed to the governor's desk. And um, so I, I think we should talk about what actually did happen, what actually did come from it. So the four things that are headed to the governor's desk Um, three are legislative items and then one is a budget item. So we'll, I'll just jump right into it if that's okay. Um, the first piece of legislation is all centered around safe firearm storage. So, uh, currently I think the department of safety for the last year has been offering free gun locks to those who request them. Um, this just extends that program as well as requires the Department of Safety to display on their website that they have free firearm locks. All you have to do is ask. Um, it also creates a collaborative effort between the Department of Safety and the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation um, to launch a campaign to promote that safe firearm storage. So that's a $1.1 million investment that they've made. So aside from that collaborative campaign, there's also a new tax exemption. So if you are a firearm owner starting November 1st, any type of firearm safe or safety device is exempt from retail tax collections. So a firearm safe is obviously things with a lock, combination lock, key lock um, that's intended for secure storage. And then they've also included in their safety devices. So those are the things that you would put on your firearm to prevent it from being operated without deactivating that first. So safes and safety devices starting this November are tax exempt. The second piece of legislation that's headed to the governor's desk has to deal with uh, the TBI and how they're notified when um, criminal proceedings are completed against a person. So Historically, um, the circuit court clerk um, or the general sessions court clerk would have to notify TBI within 30 days. If, say, Thomas, you found yourself in some criminal proceedings, not that you ever will, (laughs) but if you did, um, it could take up to 30 days for that to hit your record. And so previously, in the meantime, if they don't, if it doesn't hit your record, then you could walk into a, a store and purchase a firearm and you would pass your background check because it simply just not hit it. 
they've changed that from where it would go from 30 days to 72 hours of when that proceeding has finished that it would have to hit your background check. So just trying to shorten that time frame on when that shows up on a criminal background check so um, firearms aren't found in the hands of those who perhaps maybe don't need them. Um, the third legislative item is a report on child and human trafficking. So it requires the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation to submit a report on child and human trafficking crimes and trends in the state. Um, obviously, Tennessee's in a location where a lot of states touch us. We have a bunch of different interstates coming in and out of the state. Um, so we do have pretty significantly high child and human trafficking rates, and the legislature's committed to cracking down on that and trying to find some solutions. So hopefully this report, they have to present it to them by December of this year, and then it will be an annual report every year after that they have to present to the General Assembly um, and the governor's office to where if, if action needs to be taken, they can do that. And then the fourth and perhaps most important thing um, is the bill that pays for all of this. So the appropriations bill, just like in normal session, this is kind of the big dog that has it pays for the special session as well as funds any of the legislative items or earmarked budget priorities that they've set out. Um, and this budget is, it allocates over $40 million in new money, but it totals a little bit over $100 million that they've spent um, in this budget. So part of that, the new money, um, they're investing $10 million to be a distributed as school safety grants for public charter schools without a full-time SRO officer. Um, those grants, we saw them this last session with public and private schools. This just extends that to those public charter schools, as well as higher education institutions. So there also was um, a grant of a reallocation, so $30 million. They've moved $30 million from the State Department of Correction to um, the finance department to provide school safety grants to public and private institutions of higher education. So um, action to make our college campuses a little bit safer, as well as a, close to $15 million around mental health, behavioral health incentives, um, bonuses, um, sign-on incentives, uh, grants, just things to retain those behavioral health specialists as well as recruit more um, to create more jobs in what is, I'm sure, a really tough field. So um, committed to creating more jobs in that realm as well. And then I, th I think I mentioned this earlier, the $1.1 million campaign for safe storage as well as um, $50 million they're reallocating from 10 care to the Department of Mental Health um, for licensed community mental health agencies. They can apply for grants that will allow them to start providing mental health services. So assessments, evaluations, case management, and any other type of psychiatric management. So that $50 million will allow for some mental health uh, assistance and maybe counties that currently don't offer that. So lots of investments in mental health, like we mentioned, and um, kind of funding some of those other legislative priorities. Well, while we're talking about appropriations and money, you were telling me earlier that you all actually got to hear an update on our state's budget, which you normally wouldn't get to hear because we're not in session mm -hmm. this time of year. Yep. So the fiscal year, you know, it starts July 1st and ends June 30th. And normally when July, when July and August roll around, 
we're not here. So we don't know how we're starting off the fiscal year. We worked so hard throughout the legislative session to fund um, initiatives and priorities for the following year. And then it's typically January before we hear about how those things are going. So Commissioner Bryson presented to both the Senate and the House Finance Committee. And if I could make it short and sweet as to what he said, obviously, there's a lot of numbers. Um, I feel like I was back in a a college economics class as we're going over the budgets and ratios and shortfalls and and surpluses, but makes my head hurt just thinking. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So if commissioner Bryson did anything, he encouraged the legislature to when they come back in January to come back both cautious and creative the way we have found ourselves and, and we've seen it in, in our folks that for the last few years, we've had exponential growth that we've started off July and August on record high because that growth has just been outstanding. So the funding board has, they set their goal based upon the growth that we've seen in the last two or three years. And it appears that when we've come out of the gate in July and August, that we've not quite met that goal. And that's resulted in starting off at about $330 million short of our goal. So Commissioner Bryson laid all of this out for the committee and said, you know, this is something that we plan so far ahead for future years that when they come back in January planning for the fiscal year 25, that we may find ourselves in a position where we're in a budget deficit. So we need to be cautious with where we're allocating our money, um, both that money that's recurring and non-recurring, and we need to be creative about what we can do to put ourselves in a, a better situation to where we can maybe recoup that $330 million um, deficit that we're in. And he didn't do it to be doom and gloom and, and not to make anyone panic. We're still, revenues are up. They're just not up what we thought they would be. Um And that is just kind of chalking it up to we're seeing some of the growth that we've experienced. It's normalizing in our state's economy. So um, it'll be interesting to see what they come back with in January. For sure. Well, we're glad to have you all back here in office to finish out our summer. And really just in time for our last week of policy development meetings. Those have been going on for, Mm -hmm. I guess, a couple, two, three weeks or so now. Is there anything that has stood out to you all in these PD meetings so far? Yeah, so for our folks that aren't involved on the county level, we host the 12 regional policy development meetings annually, and it's an opportunity for um, folks in, in surrounding counties to come together and voice their opinions on things that they're hearing, the, the joys and discomforts, so to speak, of what they're dealing with at home, on the farm, and in their community. And tonight, actually, when we finish here, Thomas and I are going to be headed to Lebanon to kick off the very last of the 12 meetings. And um It's always interesting every year to see what is continuous from one meeting to the next. And last year, it was the subject of farmland loss and all the growth that we're experiencing and how can we be creative in finding solutions. And this year, we're hearing a lot more of that as well, that growth is still very much um, prevalent in our rural communities. And uh, some other things we've heard are deer, the deer population. I feel like we've not had a single meeting that that hasn't been brought up, but Um, Also talking about some mRNA technology and the prevalence it's going to play in just our our future world and um, prior notification for surveying, which is kind of tied to a legislative initiative we had this last session. And um, there have been a a multitude of of 
discussions that we've been having and it'll be interesting to see what we talk about in Lebanon and then take that to uh, the resolutions committee in November. Definitely. It's always great to hear from our farmers and really see our grassroots process in action. Absolutely. Starting at the local level. Well, that's a lot, uh, but uh, glad that we were able to sit down and have this very special uh, podcast here in August. Thanks for joining us, Shelby, and updating us on that. You can find the latest policy updates and really any ag-related update, for that matter, by following the Tennessee Farm Bureau Federation on all social media platforms. And, of course, you can head to our website, tnfarmbureau.org, for the latest. Until next time, I'm Thomas Capps. This has been Farm Bureau on the Hill. (music) 